Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This week, I am talking with digital strategist Michael Sloan, who works with musicians, management, labels, and entertainment brands, building successful and profitable relationships. His company, Streaming Promotions, helps grow audiences for artists on streaming playlists. We are talking about how to connect with streaming services and get your music in front of the people who can get you in front of an expanding audience. And we talk about coming up with a strategy to reach your audience and demographic. Get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey guys, I am talking with Mr. Michael Sloan today. How are you, sir? Good, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me and my audience and sharing your story of all the different things that you've done in the music industry that have allowed you to be successful and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. So there's a lot of different things that you've been a part of over your career. Um, right now, the main thing that you're focusing on is a company called Streaming Promotions. Correct. Can you just real quick give us, uh, we'll talk more about this in depth sure. in a little bit, but just give us a quick rundown of what Streaming Promotions is. Sure. So Streaming Promotions, uh, we started about five years ago. Our primary focus is user-generated playlists. Um and getting ads of our clients on those playlists, uh, hoping to garner additional attention and audience, um, hoping to grow uh, the monthly listener number, which in turn can trigger the algorithms, uh, discover weekly, release radar, daily moods. Um, and honestly, it's just all about all about getting awareness for our clients and getting audience for our clients in a real and legitimate way that isn't spoofed or botted or fake. Um, right. And doing our best just to help help the little guy uh, and in some cases the big guy but um, just making sure we're helping grow grow real legitimate audience now the the main um, company that you guys work with Spotify is a big company that you work with yeah but. so Spotify works much more like a social media platform than any other um, you know any, any other music platform at, at the time so um, we've looked into Apple music it doesn't really function the same way Spotify allowing fans to follow other fans uh, playlists um, works more of an influencer model and so we're able to utilize these influencers that have large followings to help obviously grow our clients uh, presence okay so um, a lot of a lot of big words <laughs> that people that artists may be like okay that kind of makes sense but I'm not exactly sure what that necessarily means For sure so can you just go into some in, in, into some depth on like what does it look like? So if, a, if, if I'm an artist that's coming to you mm -hmm. saying, I want to hire you, your company, to help me get my music out on, on Spotify and maybe some other companies, what exactly, what would you tell me? Sure. So your best bet, obviously, is to make sure that your artist profile is up to date. 
um, that you're going through Spotify's artist portal um, prior to release, usually about two weeks prior to release, and sending the new music through the portal uh, to hopefully be seen by Spotify curators. Um, That's a process that we don't handle. Um, And then our efforts after release are going to be to utilize our resources. So we've got contact with about 3,000 curators, um, probably 3,500 to 5,000 lists somewhere in their playlists. Um, We're going to basically build a word cloud around your music, not just genre, but how it feels, how it sounds. Is it songs to get ready to in the morning? Is it workout music, et cetera? Uh, And then build a word. We've got a word cloud around all of our playlists that we have contact with. Um, And then we're going to try to build a a, basically a pitch sheet and go out to those curators uh, and try to get ads on your track. So curators being people that are creating playlists on Spotify? Yeah, so any user on Spotify can create their own playlist. Um, And then some folks have large large followers, whether it be because they've um, maximized their ability to for search engine optimization on Spotify, the things that people are searching for, uh, their playlist pops up. Uh, people like the tracks, so they'll follow the playlist. Um, some of it just based on a good mix of music. Some of them might be tastemakers in their high school, or they might have a following at a church or you know something of that nature. So mm-hmm. we reach out to those folks individually uh, and try to match you know, their usernames, there's no magic science to what we're up to. Any any individual could go do what we're doing. We have a five-year head start and a pretty decent roster of people to right. reach out to. Um, but our goal is just to reach out to them on social media, on WhatsApp, on through direct message, whatever that might be, uh, tell them what we're about, tell them what we're trying to accomplish. Most of those people are music fans, fortunately, and mm-hmm. want to hear new stuff. Um, and so we do our best to <clears throat> match the music with the appropriate uh, playlist, get an ad, hopefully get some streams out of the ad to that list which in turn increases the monthly listener number and we found that the monthly listener number is a huge indicator as to how the algorithms the algorithmic playlists of spotify adopt the music so um i mean spotify has seven or eight major algorithmic playlists um they test out new ones all the time uh different factors obviously weigh into each one of those how the music is adopted but but we, we are doing our best to help trigger those and get you into what I would say larger buckets. So an algorithm might only reach, you know, a hundred, an algorithm, an algorithmic playlist is going to be specific to you as a user. So if I am a Spotify user, um, I'm going to have a dedicated and specific algorithmic list based on my listening habits, based on the listening habits of my friends, my location, um, et cetera. So the larger your monthly listener number, usually the, the better chance you will have of falling into, you know, my personal list mm-hmm. okay if that makes sense yeah totally um okay let's back up for a moment and because this is what you're doing currently this is yeah. like you said for about five years now you guys have had this you've had this company and and pushing hard to make that uh, be successful and give people opportunities there so but let's back up so right before uh we started recording i found out you're from kentucky as, I am. as am i <laughs> we're from opposite sort of opposite ends of I'm in central, you're in western. Of the state. Yeah, I'm from Paducah, which is western. You're just below Louisville, Louisville. correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Which is my dad's side of the family was from there. So I've got family all on that side as well. So uh, I kind of get to split both both sides of the state. But um, so being from Kentucky, what got you into music to begin with? Uh, So my mom's a pianist uh, at our church. Um, My dad was huge into beach music and Motown, uh, singer-songwriters of the 70s. So... Uh, I got a full dose of both music being 
performed and played in my house, um, and also records and, and love for music. Um, I was about nine or 10. My dad got a jukebox in our basement uh, that he bought out of some barn. Nice. It had a bunch of 80s country records in it, and he pulled them all out and filled it full of Motown and beach music. And I just grew up, I, I mean, I performed as well um, all through high school. And, you know, you're, you're a star in your hometown until you get to Nashville and realize uh, very quickly uh, that maybe the business side is a better fit. Right. Um, so I was on, I went to Belmont in 96. Uh, I was on campus for about 18 hours uh, before I realized that my, my dreams probably dashed as a performer <laughs> and I should probably focus uh, more on the business side. Um, but yeah, I just, I grew up loving music. I, I remember I used to get the uh, the top 40 book every year that would, and it would update. And that was a Christmas gift that was kind of perennial and would get it every year and just dove in. Who was the producer on this? Who was the play, you know, who were the players on this? Where did they record? Um, and I've just always kind of been a hound for how, not just the music itself, but how it was produced and how it came to be right. and who the writers were. And I mean, I, I, I love the story behind it. Um, which is probably why I tried to get to publishing originally. Yeah, liner notes. Uh, to me, the liner, the, the liner notes were just as important as the music. Yeah. I love, because I just love the behind-the-scenes yep. aspect of music and movies and just kind of all those different things, but l seeing who who's writing, who's producing, who's playing on that, yep. you know, even who they're thinking. The, the, the early 2000s, what we, because I, I became an internet kid right after college, um, and the early 2000s of like allmusic.com where you could go in and find all the relations of, of who played here and what mm -hmm. records they perform on or who wrote and what songs did they write. Um, I became a huge just student of all of that. Um, and actually now Spotify just in the last couple of weeks has, they're going to do some liner notes in the sense of songwriters and kind oh, of really? That's pages good. within that. So I, I was advocate, I was talking to them five years ago now um and was like you just need to adopt the all music where you can just who's the producer who's the writer who's the you know who was the keys player on this track and what else have they what else have they performed on or who's the guitar player here and i love their solos and i love their technique and how could i go find more there so um yeah i've just always been a i like the business i like to know who's managing who and who's yeah. on what label and who's where and who's what so so when you're at belmont and you find out okay maybe performing is not for me. I should go into the business side of it. Like what, I, I think that's important for, for listeners to hear because there are a lot of, a lot of listeners that are in college and that are wanting to pursue, you know, they're like you and like me, they came to Nashville or to wherever. New York, LA, wherever it is, you know, f with the purpose of becoming a performer and making a living as a musician. And then some people realize like, you know, that's, maybe that's not for me. I, I'm not the best at that particular compared to everyone else. Or maybe they just get into it and realize, you know what, I like this better. I like the business side better. It's just, it just fits my personality sure. better. Um, what, like, what was it that made you realize, okay, this, I, I should go this direction as opposed to being a musician? Yeah, I think there are people that are singers and there are people that are performers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are people that can sing the phone book and it sounds amazing, but they might not quite have the personality or the, the, the bravado and the of an artist, right? right. So, to be on stage in front of people. Correct. And, yeah. um, that wasn't, that was me. I could sing, yeah. um, but I was never going to be a performer. Right. Um, it was that, that wasn't my, after seeing people that could really perform, that wasn't going to be um, my direction. So... 
music business, I was already a music business major, so it wasn't like it was a huge shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't even follow through with that. That that scared me. Um, just the industry and there being no job security and no longevity. And um, I, I transferred to University of Kentucky and got a finance degree um, and worked in banking for three years. You know what? That's interesting because you're not the first guest I've had on the show to tell me that. That not so much they left Belmont or Nashville to go somewhere else, but that they went to a college and just got a business degree. Yeah. And then that, in turn, they applied that to music and built careers off of that. So that's interesting that... Sure. I mean, my dad, I grew up, my dad was a banker. So um, my grandfathers on both sides were bankers. So banking was osmosis kind of in my blood, if you will. So mm-hmm. a lot of that terminology, and I, I understood banking. Mm-hmm. So uh, the only reason I was... I won't say the only reason, but I was allowed to go to Belmont primarily because the music business degree was still a business degree. Right. Um, so there was a worst case scenario, these music dreams fade out and there's still, you know, a BA behind it. Um, going to Kentucky, I ran track and cross country at Belmont. So my focus was a little split between internships and industry, which I really wasn't a part of mm-hmm. and athletics. Um, and I got the opportunity to walk on at UK and I'm from Kentucky and I'm a Cats fan. So, uh, there was no turning back. Um, I went, got a finance degree, enjoyed the college experience. Um, but was still, even when I was in banking, was still going to 20, 30 concerts a a month, probably. Um, Mm -hmm. I was always out seeing shows. Uh, I was a consultant for a, a year and a half and was traveling about 80% of the time. And I would find a festival or a show and got really into the singer songwriter scene of the kind of early 2000s, 2002, 2003, um, with John Mayer and Jason Mraz and Jack mm-hmm. Johnson and that kind of whole crew. So, um, and got in early days with those, those camps and was, you know, understood the, the fans. And I've always just kind so, of turned it around and looked, it's not so much the stage. It's like, well, how are people engaging and what's the, right. What's so the were you starting, you're saying that you were working with those, some of those artists or? Not directly. I was just a fan. Okay. Um, and then I was, yeah, this is 2003, four, so, or two, two, three, really. And I'm, you know, I'm on message boards and I'm having conversations with fans and we're discovering new music. I mean, this is still the era of Napster and, right. you know, music sharing. So everybody just trying to find out what's new, what's, what's being recorded, what's, what's the new thing. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of discovery that was happening. And when you're on the road a lot and you're already in a rental car or you're already, 200 miles from home, you might as well finish up on a Friday afternoon and figure out where the next show is as opposed to drive back home and have to drive back out again. So um, did a lot of that, a lot in the Atlanta area, a lot in, uh, oh, we were everywhere. Uh, New Orleans, um, just, I mean, most of the Southeast, but just kind of canvassed and covered a bunch of music festivals. Now, what did you do at the festivals? I just attended. I was just a fan. Were you just going? Yeah, I was just sheerly a fan. So there's nothing that, at this point, business-wise that you're doing I desperately wanted to be part them. of it um yeah, you know just, the, just I going. was trying to find you know Mark Cunningham and the Aware Records guys and trying to, I mean I was definitely trying to network my way in yeah um because I, I think at that time I already knew that banking wasn't a, a long-term <laughs> solution right. for me um but yeah I you know I knew who all of John Mayer's bandmates were and I knew who the tour manager was and if I'd see him backstage or in, in the audience I'd make sure to have a conversation or see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I wasn't remembered. Um, but, you never know. At, but yeah, it was, I was shooting my shot, you know, yeah. wherever I had an opportunity. Um, banking was starting to phase out and I was, I told my folks that it was, you know, I'll, I'll get my MBA. Um, and 
moved back to Nashville, and that was more of a guise to get back closer to the music industry uh, than anything. And came down here and went to Belmont and got my MBA, and but was working in publishing and was going out to writers' rounds and shows, and again trying to just network and find the people. You know, it's yeah. great. I love this songwriter, but yeah. what publishing company is he with? Sure. And who is that guy? Or who's his secretary? And right. is there a possibility I can develop a relationship there to then? So it was all networking. Yeah. Um, and I think I was just primed for that at 25, mm-hmm. um, where you know I'm not, I don't look like, I, I probably still look like a college kid, but I'm older than a college kid. I'm in graduate school. I'm trying to better myself. At least the story is not, hey, I'm at Belmont and I'll do, you know, I'm Belmont undergrad or I'm at MTSU and I'll do whatever I can do to get in the door. It was, what problems are you having? How can I help solve these issues? Mm-hmm. Um, we're transitioning from a, you know, a dat and a to a and CD to a digital age where you can catalog all this music and utilize metadata, um, and that was my end. I mean, I had a conversation with Joe Fisher, who was running Village Music Group at the time. I took him to lunch, or actually it was breakfast, and I was like, "Just let me come by." And he said, "I don't have any money to hire anybody." I said, "I'll just show up at 10 a.m. Like I'll be there tomorrow." He thought I was weird, um, <laughs> and. I showed up at 10 a.m. and so I sat on the couch and he was behind his desk and I said, so what do you do? And he's like, well, right now I'm making a pitch CD. I'm like, all right. So, and I'm watching him as he, he has a dual burner, putting one disc in, going to the track and burning it and then taking that out and putting another disc in. And I'm like, Joe, you could, you could just digitize all this and put it on some hard drives. And I, can't, I, I always have an issue watching people like there's a, there's a better way, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I got the opportunity to, sit in his office and Rivers Rutherford was right in the next room. And so the, and this was the early, early 2000s. So you've got the people that are coming in and out of there. Yeah. Um, so again. explain real quick for, for listeners who, who Joe is Sure. and, and what, and his company, what, yeah. What so Joe was at the time running village music group, uh, which was co-owned by Pat Higdon and Mark Wright. Um, he was also administering Pat songs. So Pat Higdon's catalog. Um, so this is a publishing company, publishing company. for people. Yeah. Know. So I mean, it had strawberry wine and, you know, a bunch of hits from the nineties. Um, and, I mean, Joe went on to work at Universal and is now running a publishing company for Keith Urban and running a label for Timberlake, I believe. So, um, I mean, he, you know, went on to do all right. Um, but that was a, more of a, my intro to that world and to him um, was my second cousins lived across the street from his parents in Florida. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I got a, and they were like, call this guy. And I just called him and said, let's grab breakfast. I mean, it was, he goes, why? And I said, I, I want to learn and know and figure things out. And I'm sure it was creepy and a little weird, but, <laughs> but you it had worked a, out. But you had a connection. And, sure. And you had some family whatever, who knew his family. Was, and... yeah, even though it was distant family, it was still a connection. Yeah. Um, and there I was. And it worked out. And it worked out. And so I was there for three or four months. Um, now, was he the like were you at Belmont at this time were you like I hadn't quite started so I moved here in July and classes started in August he was one of the first three or four people I took to coffee okay um and I probably should looking in hindsight I probably should have taken uh, the I don't have a job for you as no uh but I didn't I just I, but I'll that's show up why tomorrow. <laughs> but that's why you've you've been successful is that you took I'm, an opportunity I'm not, yeah I'm not real good at no's um yeah so it was great to work with him and, you know, learn. Uh, he, t- he took me under his wing and took me to a lot of pitch meetings that he was having. He took me to all the writer's rounds. He introduced me. I mean, he really made me feel 
like I wasn't crazy for trying this out. Mm-hmm. Um, never paid me because he didn't, he couldn't. It was he an internship. Yeah, it, it was, it was an intern. It was an unpaid, uh, undocumented, uh, <laughs> not really an internship. Um, but he got me a job. Just hanging out and just learning. hanging out. Yeah, yeah, it was like I'm. I was literally in a closet of uh, of a kitchen. Uh, with a computer, and that's I mean that was more or less the tape room, and I digitized all his CDs, uh, all the dats, all the reel to reels, tried to use as much metadata as possible, whether it was tempo or a ballad or you know who the writers were, obviously, um, and did my best to. So three months of that, going in a couple days a week, three days a week maybe. Um, he said, "Yeah, we've there's buddy Travis over at Carnival's looking for somebody. Maybe you could do this for them." So. On I went. At least that was a job, so that was a paying yeah. gig. Yeah, and Carnival is another music publisher public here in town. Yeah. yeah, and so that was in, that walked in you into an actual paying paying position, job. Yeah, paying job. You know, um, which is how it works. Yeah, in entry this level. Town. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously again hindsight. I was twenty five, almost twenty. I guess I was twenty six at that point. Um, came from a bank consulting gig that was that was pretty well paying for you know the early two thousands of a fresh out of college kid. Um, and I was making about half of what I'd made as a consultant, uh, and frustrated. And I, I wanted, I wanted more than what was available. Um, I was, I was the tape room, you know, front desk secretary, answer the phone guy. Yeah. Um, which is where, which is where everybody starts. Everyone, yeah, everyone pretty I mean, much starts there. Yeah. You, you got to pay your dues. Um, I wanted to plug songs. We had 13 writers and me being in the lobby, I've got to listen to every writer. wish they were getting more. You know, get more action on their catalog and, and, and more pitches going out. So um, I try to use that as leverage. Well, let me go. You know, I know, I know, I know Sandy Bell. I know Jim Catino. I, I know people. I can, or at least I can drop off a CD at the front desk. And um, about about two months of that, and I was I was fired. I mean, I've I've been fired a lot. <laughs> Either due to gumption or uh, getting it over my head or not listening to a no. Um, and and it always ends on good terms. I mean, I'm yeah. I've still, I'll, so, I'll see Frank or Travis and we can have a conversation. It's no, no hard feelings. Yeah. Um, it just, I got, got over my skis a little bit um, and wanted more than I was probably ready for. Yeah. So eventually, well, let me, let, let's, let's stop there for a second. What would you, what would you tell somebody who's listening that's wanting to get into, you know, maybe into the publishing world or, or really anything here in town or in any music city, if you're wanting to get into the business side of things, um, just based off of your experience and what you've done, what are some pieces of advice that you would give to people? I think people take their love of music maybe a little too seriously. I love the music. I love the songwriter. I love the writer's rounds. I love the performance. I love the... That's that's what's happening. What's, what's happening behind the scenes? What's the audience? You know, What's the audience doing? Who are... The people? Who are the people that are managing? Who are the people that are the publishers? Who are the people that are, you know, who's behind the scenes? Who's who's on the business side of things? And worry less about the performer and or the songwriter and or the writer's round or, and worry about who the people are in the room um, that are on the business side. And strike up conversations and try to make connections and do the all-music research of who's who and what's what and understand what the other writers, you know, if you're going to a writer's round of some specific publishing company, know who those other other writers on you know on, on their roster are mm-hmm. and be able to have a conversation around what's going on and you know do a little homework before I, I, I teach at Belmont as well now and I tell my students all the time that ask for advice that the worst thing you can say in an interview is just hire I'll, I just need a job I'll do whatever you want me to do that that's ter- 
then I have I as a business owner have to spend time trying to show you what I need you to do. Come to me with a solution. You know, come to me with a hey, you know, I think we could get more traction in sync and I have some relationships over, you know, in film or I, I think we could do more or it seems like you're having a lot of trouble organizing you know, your, your, your writer's calendars. I can, you know, I've got a solution to that. So come in with a, with a solution, be solution yeah. driven and be ready to have those conversations. That's good. There. Right. Um, yeah. as opposed to, I really just need, I love music so much, you know, cause every, everybody that's trying to get this loves music. I love music so much, but I, you know, I don't, I just need anything. Just give, I need a job because mm-hmm. otherwise I got to go home. <laughs> right. That makes sense. And that's, that's great advice is coming in with a solution and have something that you can offer, to some to a company that they may not have the ability to to tackle on their own, obviously. So maybe you're great at Instagram stories. Maybe you've figured out a. Maybe you're a great film, you know, video editor, and you can help mm-hmm. with YouTube videos. Maybe you're great at TikTok. Maybe you're. I mean, maybe you're good at Facebook ads. Like, hone a skill and then come in with a solution as opposed to, you know, what are we going to do in this space? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we going to help? So I'll, I'll do anything, which we get a lot of. I sure. Mean, everybody gets a lot of. Yeah. So after Carnival, um, eventually you ended up working with Taylor Swift, her, her I did. company, yeah. 13 so Management. That was a few years down the road. Um, I finished up my MBA um, and got a job with a, a, a very a startup company called Echo Music um, that was in web development and fan clubs um, okay. that was ultimately acquired by Ticketmaster. And then I also worked for Ultra Star Music Today, which uh, were both owned by Live Nation. Um, and was kind of part of the early 360 deals of Live Nation Artist Group and, and worked with Zach Brown among many, but probably most closely with Zach just prior to Chicken Fried and built out, you know, what's the marketing plan and what's that going to look like and what are we trying to build online? Okay, um, so you help, you were helping Zach Brown and his... Yeah, I mean, it was... Them do that, okay. Yeah, the, the Live Nation Artist Group had U2 and Madonna and you know, ACDC and the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. and a lot of other folks as well, but I, my focus was on some of the more baby stuff and the baby acts... The, Zach's certainly not a baby act now, but yeah. uh, at, the at the time, time yeah. yeah. So trying to figure that out. Uh, Live Nation and Ticketmaster obviously merged. Uh, I guess that was in 08 or 09. Um, and yeah, those all those companies went away. So, so okay, so let, let's talk about that for a second. We'll jump into to Taylor's sure. stuff here in a minute. But um, so working with, with those companies... Um, what like what is your technical role there? Like what is your title? Yes, yeah, so I was I was in project management. Okay. So um, again. I, I wasn't a te- I, I loved technology. I loved websites, um, but I wasn't a code guy. I wasn't a database architect. Um, but I'd like to think I'm decent with people, so and I can answer some emails if I need to. So it was really just the juggling of making sure projects were running, making sure projects were running efficiently. Um, the Live Nation side of things was a little more seat at the table, trying to figure out how we were going to build. You know, with 360, you've got all elements of the career, so. How are we building the whole career technology and digital being a part of that? But it was a closer seat to the table of, you know, what are we going to do with the Gaither vocal band or Cheech and Chong, which were also clients of mine. So how's that going to work and what's that going to look like? Um, and that was a little more broad. So it was still project management. Of yeah. just There's an agenda. There's a timeline. We're trying to get things accomplished and done. We're trying to integrate technologies. Um, figure it out. Yeah. So you're helping, like, so let's talk you're talking about like Zach Brown, uh, Zach Brown Band. So when they're first getting signed, you're helping, you're on the team that's helping kind of establish that and create a 360 deal. 
Is that correct? That was coming. I mean, the 360 deal was established by the time it came in the door. So it was more now oh. Now that we have them. Okay. Now, okay. There's gotcha. a plan to release chicken fried. And that was, you know, on more on the radio side, which I would, but, but what, what's the website and how does it function and flow and what marketing messages are we trying to put together? You know, is there, is there going to be a VIP element? Is there, what's that going to look like? I mean, Zach had dreams and visions about, leather companies and you know like other out offshoots of him as a brand and i think he really saw himself as kind of a renaissance man of i used to be a chef and i want to do a cookbook and i like you know i've got my own breed of dog and like all these different things that he had ideas around mm-hmm. and how do we compile those into w- one website and one marketing you know one, one digital vision of kind of how to how to portray him to the world mm-hmm. very cool okay so then after once all that takes place for a while, while then you move into working with. I had to start my own thing for a minute. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, left. Who cares about Taylor Swift? Uh, this, I love. This is all the in between stuff. That's uh, yeah, all really the in between stuff. Um, <laughs> I, and I, the Taylor time was amazing, but. Um, well, starting your own company. What yeah, you... so I start my own company. Uh, I had a good friend that I'd worked with at Echo. Um, that he was exiting the Echo side of things, obviously, as I was. Having to having to shut things down uh, through the Ticketmaster and Live Nation merger, um, he had learned a little bit about WordPress, um, mm-hmm. which is, is a content management system that was new at the time. Um, I felt like I could still talk to people, so I had to take off my strategy hat and put on my sales hat. Um, and we started building websites for artists on WordPress, and it was really early days of I don't know that we were the first in town to do it, but we were one of the first in town to build on WordPress and just used our relationships to try to build out, again, websites and fan clubs. It was still the early days of social media marketing. Um, so we tried to learn as much as we could in that space and apply, how are you growing audience? Um, now, are you doing like major label artists' websites uh, there at were the a time few. or some indie I mean, artists, a little it, bit of both? It was, you know, when most of those major label artists were tied to one of the platforms, right. <laughs> you know, that I'd worked for in the past. Um, so it was a lot of indie stuff. There was some major label stuff or some artists that were phasing out mm-hmm. of major label. Um and we did as much as we could just to help out um, using the relationships we had with management companies. And we got outside of the music space a lot. So it was, you know, startup companies or small businesses um, and, and worked in that space a lot, too. So how do you – it's different then than it is now, building a website for sure. somebody. Yeah, but it, was, it, was, it was a little more complicated. There was no Wix or no – you know, there was no right. just drag in place. Um, and so we, how does that – let me ask you this. How does that affect – if if someone's listening is thinking, you know, I'm a great web designer, I want to build websites for, I want to be in the music industry, I want to build websites for, you know, musical artist bands or whatever, um, knowing that most people can build their own now, like how does that affect someone wanting to start their company to do that for people now, or, or does it really? I would probably not advise unless there's some greater strategy, unless you've got a social media marketing background or, a, you know, that there's some other element, because again, it is... Building a website has become ubiquitous, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it takes nothing for me to fire up Wix and have something live under my own domain for twenty bucks in two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were building on WordPress, you know, I, I had to learn to code for a little bit. Um, I had to learn CSS and kind of learn how to manipulate the site to make it look the way the client wanted. Um, it, that's not the case anymore. So right. I'd say, what's the other skill that you're also you know, investing time in and learning about how are you building audience that's going to drive to the website or, mm-hmm. or is the website going to do something unique? Billie Eilish had a great website 
I mean, it was way too big in, in terms of size and scope. It was like 160 megabytes or something crazy. Um, and it's not the same now, but you'd go inside her bedroom and it was all flash and crazy, you know, over the top. I don't know who did that, but that was way over the top. Um, most websites now are just kind of a landing page for who's the artist, what's the, you know, what's the tour calendar, um, links out to social media and Spotify and yeah. you know, pulling a player. And that's about the extent of it. So yeah. there's, there's no real special sauce these days. Sure. So what was the name of that company? Uh, it was called had? Strategic Blend. Okay. Um, it's, it's changed names since. Uh, the guy that I started it with is still, s- still running uh, that with some other partners now. Um, but yeah, I was there for two and a half, three years at least. Um, so, and again, it was just, it was, it was feast or fate. It was eat what you, you know, eat what you kill. Yeah. So yeah. You, you went out and you found clients and you tried to build good business and still for me, it was project management and timelines yeah. and making sure we were turning stuff over. Sure. And so much of this, again, we, and we talk about this all the time with, with different guests is the relationship aspect of it. You're networking and building relationships with, you know, people that when you first started with Joe at Village Music Group, right. Or yeah. coming out of school yeah. and then. That led to Carnival, and that's another thing, another thing, another thing, because you're able to to build these relationships with people that can lead you down a different path than you may have made, may have gone yourself. Yeah, I mean, I've I've really tried to, you know, there there are a few folks in town I'm sure that don't don't like me, um, but I've really tried to go and not burn any bridges, you yeah. know, uh, and really go back to, I can go back to a, a Travis or a Joe or a Frank Liddell and be able to have a conversation and be able to you know, it not be contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't work out. That's great. Everybody's moving on. Everybody, everybody lives, you know, we, it's not like we're, we're not curing cancer over here. So, um, just trying to keep good relationships, um, and have those conversations and, you know, the 90% of this business is being a good hang, quite honestly, yeah. and 10% is getting stuff done. But as long as you can understand where you are in the pecking order in the room and who the people are and, and you know what your the expectations are of you, um, you can go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And w- again, we've had that conversation many, many times, you know, on the show with with different people, and just the, the aspect of being a good hang. Yeah, totally. And then um, you know, and also the relationship and networking aspect of it. So, and it's amazing how how many times that comes up. You know, it's like you, once you realize that that is that is the majority of what the music industry is. You know, that, yeah. that really sets, sets the boundaries to work within. And if you can do that, you can, go, you can go a long way and you can be very successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So then I worked with Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> no, so I, uh, after a few years uh, at Strategic Blend, um, I got a call from uh, Jim Weatherson, who at the time was uh, running 13 Management um, for Taylor. Uh, he'd come from Disney Records. Um, had had a great pedigree and I was a, a little a lot intimidated uh, to take that meeting. Um, he called you. you yeah. Said? Well, he called a friend of mine and then a friend of mine ended up calling me. So um, and asked me if I was interested. So we set up the meeting. Um, I went out there, uh, found out what they were trying to accomplish. Um, came on on a contract basis for the first few months and uh, they hired me. So did he call? They get in touch with you specifically, or was it a, was he got in touch with somebody at uh, at a business management firm that reached out to somebody that I used to work with, who had left town and moved out of town, uh, and recommended me. Okay, and so that's what I'm trying phone to call. Out. Yeah, the phone yeah. call came from a business manager uh, asking if I'd be interested, and I'd have been a fool not to be interested. Yeah, 
at, at, at this juncture, this was right as she was releasing Speak Now, so okay. going into a, a oh, yeah, tour. Just, so like, things were just really would've, taking would've, off. I would have been a fool to say no. Yeah, so um, so you get that meeting, and what was the title, what would the position be for you to do that? Um, so this was Project Management Project 101. Management. Okay. I mean, it was, um, they were attempting to, at the time, build a web store um, that was going to be based off of Amazon's platform. So more or less all the pick, pack, and ship, uh, everything that was, you'd, you'd go through taylorswift.com, but it would look like, it would look like Taylor's site, but you would be actually purchasing items off of Amazon gotcha. with prime shipping and two-day shipping at the time um, and all the rest. So that was quite an undertaking that, um, you know, you had to get UPC codes for every item and, and just the going through and doing all the database work to try to make that happen with a company like Amazon. Uh, I think they were, they were in a little over their heads. So, and I didn't know either. Um, but you don't know until you do it. it, so, yeah. it having a dedicated person out there to work on it, um, helped a lot. So yeah. went out there and did that. Um, and then it turned into, uh, myself and another guy named Jordan Stone was out there as well. He was kind of handling all the fan engagement and social media presence and web web web, web facing. Uh, and we ended up having lots of meetings with you know anybody that Pandora or Spotify or anybody that would come through on the digital space. And it was just a front row seat to how the industry was changing, which was amazing. Wow. So, if someone listening that wants to get into into that world, you know, working with a, a, a big label, big artist, um, project managing. You know, again, we talk about the relationship aspect of it. Can someone can someone get a position working for an artist like that or a company like that without it, without going through a predetermined relationship firsthand? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's always going to help to have walking into something like that completely green uh, is going to be intimidating, um, and not not to say there haven't been people that have done it and turned out just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. I think to get in a major label situation or in an internship there at minimum or an internship at a management company or a label is going to really help just so you can get a sense as to whether that's one, the pond you want to swim in mm-hmm. and two, it does it make sense, you know, for you or are you, are you equipped and fit for that? Yeah. Um, so I think something of that level was probably, it was good that it had the experience of, you know, the startup world and, you know, gone through mergers and acquisitions and started my own thing and, you know, had had kind of built enough confidence in myself to know that oh, I don't know it, but they don't know it either. So worst case scenario, if I'm going to if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, but at least I'll give it my best effort. Yeah. And we're going to kind of all fail together. Sure. If, if <laughs> that, that portion of the project was going to fail together. Right. Ta- Taylor was a, a rocket ship. Right. So it was right. going to be yeah. just fine. Well, it's, I mean, in a way, you you know, you guys are kind of like the industrial light and magic of yeah. of the music world. You know, you're what, what George Lucas, the Star Wars, all the, you know, the animation guys, CGI guys building, you know, this world for movies. That's what you're doing because they were they made it up. You, like you, everything we, we were we making it on, up. Yeah. Everything we see on movies nowadays is because of those guys. Sure, all all right? the CGI stuff. We were just. The internet was the Wild West, and, I mean, even the consumption services, they still are, right? The music business now has become the Wild West again because of the internet. So we're, we're out there just trying to figure it out, utilizing the tools at our disposal. Um, in some cases, I've got buddies that invented their own tools and have become successful with those. Yeah. Um, you know, where is it going? What's it doing? What's the audience want? And then how do we – what tools and vessels are we using to serve, serve them with? Yeah. And then – 
What does who understands want? what the tools are? What's the what's what, yeah? What does audience want? That's a good. Uh, I mean, I I would argue right now, audience wants uh, e- ease of engagement. Okay. Uh, they want unique experiences. Um, they want you know the the, the veil, if you will, the the, the curtain. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everyone can see Oz now, right? There's right. the audit. The artist is on social media. They're you know they're they're tweeting and blogging and whatever. Inter- and interacting <laughs> yeah. with the artist. TikTok. Yeah, Oz-Oz. I mean everything is. There's so much transparency to who the actual artist is, mm-hmm. where that used to be in the 80s and 90s, it right. was this far off world. Right. And now it seems so close. So And Taylor's a, a, a big reason for that. Because when she first started, of course, what, she was 16, whenever sure. I think when she got her first deal and, and first album came out. But she was always, I remember like this, like 2008-ish, 7, 8, something like that. And, you know, she was always interacting with her fans on online with whatever there was back at the time. Yeah, it's it became expected, right? Yeah. So that's now an expectation. So I think what the fans want now from a from a music listening standpoint, they want lack of friction. So we used to have to go buy a CD or buy a tape or buy, mm-hmm. you know, you have to go to a store and exchange money for a thing. And then we got to a place where leaving the house wasn't necessary, but we still had to exchange money individually for singles or albums through a download. Um and now it comes from the cloud on the click of a button for a subscription fee. And so there's really no friction. I can listen. It's all you can eat, right? I can listen to as much as I'd like um, and anything that I would like mm-hmm. on the click of a button. And I'm not taking up any space in my house or space on a hard drive or space on my phone. So mm-hmm. um, that, I feel like that's kind of the final frontier. of It's frictionless and it's coming from the cloud. And so that's from an engagement standpoint with music. I think that's what the audience wants. And then from a show perspective, they want the biggest, craziest, wildest, you know, it has to become experiential. I mean, if you look at a lot of the big tours now, it's things flying around the arena and cranes pulling artists around and lots of, you know, it's lots of pyrotechnics and lots of big screens and lots of, you know, lots of bright lights. Um, It's not just a guy standing at the, you know, front of a stage with footlights and Mm -hmm. singing a song. Unless you're a singer-songwriter and that's your... And that's your thing. Even the singer-songwriters. I mean, even the Ed Sheerans of the world still have giant stage productions. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're Ed Sheeran and you're out selling stadiums, that's one thing. You know, but I kind of, I get that completely. (laughs) I understand that. And he's he's a one in a billion person that can do that. Like the the only person in the world that can get an acoustic guitar and that be it and some loops and stand in front of millions of people on a, in a stadium by himself and you know and it works and it works he's yeah. the only person that can pull that off that's a very unique thing. it is yeah you but know, I mean, most was... singer songwriters are going to be on stage in a co- you know a coffee house or or a club or something like that and you know they don't get they don't get the uh, you know the big giant light show and sure. stuff and flying it, over the but place. But then what? But then what is the? Then you ask what is what does the audience want from that guy? Right. And then what's his differentiator? Yeah. Is it? It is. Is it his ability to play? Yeah. Is it his songwriting ability? Sure. It does. Is he crazy great at loops and MIDI? And can he? What else are you bringing to the table? Because I mean, I think that's something we could talk about as well. But there, the barrier to entry to this industry is just for a musician is so mm-hmm. low now. With you can get to the DSPs to the digital service providers very easily through TuneCore or DistroKid or CD mm-hmm. Baby, whatever that might be. So it's very easy to get your music out there. It's just what's it saying and how's it... I mean, I'll, I'd be terrified as an artist these days um, if it was 1996 and I still thought I was the best kid in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, I probably would have released some stuff and 
I hadn't yet found out that there's a big bad world out there that right. might 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 not be listening. So I think that's some of it too. It's just understanding that there's twenty thousand tracks that are added to Spotify every day. There's a lot of them that go unheard. You know, it's if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it. You know, it doesn't make a sound kind of thing. So, yeah. so what do you? Um, let me ask you this. So with your company now with streaming promotions, when someone comes to you, you know, because I'm assuming the majority of the people coming to you are, are indie artists. There's a lot. We have, I mean, we have some some label artists, and we, we've got relationships with some management companies and some labels as well. Okay. Um, I'd say it's probably 60, 40, 70, 30, the minority being indie artists. Um, just because, you know, with an independent artist, you've, what else are you doing, right? So if you're right. spending money with me, you probably you need a publicist. Is there touring? Is there, I mean, where are you also building audience? Right. So, so that's going to be my question. Yeah. So let's talk about for indie artists for a moment. Like what, just with all the experience that you've had doing all these different things throughout your career and where you are now, um, you know, how do you encourage indie artists that are that are trying to break into, like, you know, not, not someone who's at at the very, very beginning of right. it, but they've been at it for a few years and they're, they're working it, you know, they might have a couple of tracks on Spotify, but they're not like super deep into, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like just overall, like what's like, some encouragement or some advice that you will give? Yeah, I think people? it's, it, who are you, right? Okay. What's, what, what, what demographic are you trying to reach, right? So any, I always think that any art that is created needs to have a demographic in mind at its creation. Like who is this going to be for? Who are those people? Where are they? Where are their eyeballs and ears located? Are they radio listeners? Are they Spotify listeners? Are they Facebook users? Are they TikTok users? Are they where? You know, where do they exist and where are they congregating? And then, what's your strategy to reach them? So, if you're an artist that is 18 to 25, you know, it's probably going to be through social media and through Spotify, right? If you're an artist that's 45 to 65 it might still be spotify but it's probably also going to be digital downloads maybe some cd sales at a show maybe i mean so it's it's probably going to be more facebook than it's going to be instagram um so what's your strategy i mean that's i always encourage artists to okay well what are you doing and are you if you're not going to be in people magazine like what's what trades can you be in to get further exposure where, where else you know what what blogs are going to write you know ones to look out for and is there a possibility to get coverage there um what story are you trying to tell so do you do you encourage artists to just say you know you ask what kind of publication are you going to be in like do you encourage artists to to reach out to you know music connection magazine or people mag or like some of these different magazines that are doing that do reviews and you know say hey i want you to review my my music or you know how do you how do you get if out that, there? I mean, people? if that makes sense, right? Yeah. If that if if that publication meets, matches your demographic sure. and you think that you're going to be able to get response from them yeah. or do you need a conduit to get, do you need a publicist mm-hmm. that has that relationship already that's going to get you further down the road than just you reaching out blindly? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you, you know, one of those creative artists that have decided to come up with a pseudonym and fake, fake, fake manager name. Right. <laughs> it's reaching out to clubs and trying to get book bookings. Right. Sure. Um, so how long were you with, uh, with Taylor's with 13 management? A little more than a year. Okay. Um, and then I went over to not long after that, I went over to big machine. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Big machine so, label group. Uh, yep. So it was a big machine label group, which for, was her label at the time. Correct. Yeah. So, and, um, and everybody else now, <laughs> it's so funny to me. Because Big Machine, at least at the time, I, I think it still is, was considered 
an indie label. It, it, and it still is. It technically um, is. Yeah, I mean, so even though it's like the largest label in, in Nashville now, pretty much. It's one of. It's one, yeah. I mean, with the, with the three other majors, with Universal, uh, Warner, and Sony. Um, but, yeah, they, we had 13 artists at the time. And by the time I left, a little over two years later, uh, we had 33 or 34. Yeah. So, and all the big, like, big wig. It was a lot of big, I mean, we artists. had Thomas Rhett and Florida Georgia Line and yeah. Justin Moore and Bradley Gilbert and, yeah. Yeah. So, um Man, we, yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was a good time. So, um, but it grew fast, and it was trying to figure out digital campaigns and digital strategies and how we we're finding the audience. So all that mm-hmm. stuff became. So you're doing the same same type job, just at, across at the label, yeah, just across just multiple releases and yeah. focuses and award shows and that kind of stuff. How yeah. are, how are we trying to get audience awareness around these artists? And um, again, you're getting this. You're you're moving to big machine label group because of a relationship that you've already had established with them, I'm assuming. A, a little bit. I mean, I wasn't, so my role within the Taylor camp was more digitally focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't so, and I left prior to the release of Red. Um, so I'd only been in a couple of meetings with Big Machine. Um, I just, again, leveraged a lot of industry support when, when the gig came open um, and got the interview and gotcha. the rest was history. Yeah. So... And that leads you, so after being with Big Machine for a while. There for a couple of years and then um, left uh, and really did all I could to figure out where the business was. Um, I consulted for a lot of startups, um, just with my industry expertise, if you will, in building audience and growing audience and storytelling. I mean, that's a big thing that I speak on, speak on a lot is what's the story, what's the message you're trying to get out? How are you telling the story? Through what platforms? You know, what's the story arc? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. Um, So did some consulting there and was also interviewing with Spotify uh, for a position here in town. Um, And through it, met a guy that was doing some playlisting and we had some conversation around it. And I said, I've got an idea to build a business here if, if, if you want to give it a shot. Um, so we started it. And again, all right, well, now I'll put my sales hat on and go out and see if there are enough people to, to sustain the business. Um, and we grew in the first three years to something that was sustainable. Um, he I bought him out a couple of years ago now. To He wanted to pursue a independent label and a management company. Um, and so we've been jamming along since of just yeah. continuing. I mean, and there's been ebbs and flows of the business, obviously. If initially it was, we had relationships with Spotify curators, you know, and, and also independent user generated curators. Uh, we realized pretty quickly about a year and a half in that the, the Spotify editorial team was getting completely inundated with emails and co- reaching out from labels and management companies and artists and you know thousands of emails a day. And there was just no point in competing with that noise as a third party promoter. Uh, so we completely shifted focus and went all users. I mean, what's, what are the, what's the audience? What are the fans doing? Who are the fans that have the most followers? How do we make contact with them to develop a relationship there and get them to add our clients music and help grow audience. Mm -hmm. So, and it's still the same muscle we're exercising today. Yeah. Well, what I think is, is great and it's important for listeners to hear is that what you've done throughout your career is by and large, the same job in different different places, in yeah, different, either, different companies, different positions, you know, whether it be a label or a management company or a publisher, whatever, you're doing the same type job. It's always been project management and or sales, right? Yeah. So it's always, and I think that's, you know, you're either, you're, you're seeing the vision for where it's trying to mm-hmm. go and getting a process in place yeah. to, to, to get it there. Um, 
or you're seeing the vision as to what you want the end goal to be and selling someone on the vision of where where it could be and and yeah. giving them a definition of what that of what that path's going to look like so that everybody's transparent at the get-go for what it's going to look like. Yeah. But you're taking a strength that that you've got and you're exploiting that strength for at, at each of these places. So, and I say that because you know, I do a lot of different things. I'm I'm good at a lot of different things and but it for me to make a full-time living in music, I have to do multiple streams of income, yeah. which a lot of listeners have to do that. Sure. Um, you know, you've been able to do work at one job, one position, you know, at a time and really hone in on what you're really good at at each of those places, right? As to a certain extent. I mean, even right now. So I've still got streaming promotions. Uh, it's been around for five years. For the last almost three years, I've also worked at a company called Wonderful Union that got acquired by Endeavor not long ago. Um, and we work in VIP ticketing. Um, okay. I also teach at Belmont as an adjunct. Yeah. And I teach a couple classes there. So yeah, there's. it's definitely not... It's not linear, right? It's not sure. just uh, the 13 management and then big machine jobs were pretty linear. I mean, I was also teaching at Belmont there as well for both mm-hmm. those gigs. But um, yeah, it's, I'm always interested. And in, I, I mentored at Project Music for the Entrepreneur Center for a, for a couple rounds. And I love taking meetings. And I love ideas. And I love trying to figure out process out of chaos. And everything's technology-based now. And I've been blessed to have lots of experience in, in the technology space. Mm-hmm. So, and lots of relationships along the way with coworkers and friends and, you know, it's been great. So it's just a matter of, uh, I feel like I'm okay in a room. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've got a pretty good idea about brainstorming and, you know, building vision and problem solving. Um, and if, if somebody needs me to try to sell that vision, right. I, I feel like I've been, transparent and honest and you know enough to have sold things that are real right at the mm-hmm. end of the day that aren't you know i'm not i'm not selling fool's gold so right yeah well i just think it's it's cool that you know even though even though you're doing two or three different things right there are things that you love but within that context you know I, the reason i keep coming back to it is because um you know i've had this conversation a lot with other guests as well you know, and so many of them say, be, be really good at one or two things. You know, some of us can get away with doing a lot of things and that's, you know, that can be good or bad, you know, but if you can be really good at one or two things, you know, and just the fact that you've been able to take what you're really good at with, with product, project management, you know, um, web development and and that kind of stuff. And using that across multiple platforms and different companies that you've done that in while at the same time, teaching over here and doing this over here, that kind of thing. But you're really good at a couple of things. Um, and, and that's just encouraging. And I think it's important for people to hear. Yeah, I think my, really biggest, good at yeah, my biggest skill has always been just early adoption of new stuff yeah. um, and specific to the entertainment space. Yeah. You know, okay, this Spotify thing. I was, a, I was a subscriber, a paid subscriber to Spotify the day it was available in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted. I love the idea of paying a flat fee for consumption of music. I was probably a couple steps ahead, right? In in that sense, because it hadn't been adopted yet. It was everybody. So seeing where things are going to go. Social media. All right, cool. You can now share stories and share your, mm-hmm. you know, what type of stories you're trying to tell. What does that look like? Back 15 or 20 years ago, message boards. Okay, well now you can have fans engage. It's early adoption of technology, and then how to apply it to you know, a marketing plan and, and where, where you're trying to take things has always been really important, 
you know, to me in my career of, well, I've got to keep my eyes open. And now at 42, it's a little harder because there's, <laughs> there's, there's some 25 year old that's got a lot more uh, time and energy and effort than I, than I might have. Right. Cause I got a family and you know, sure. three jobs. <laughs> right. No, I get that. No, I understand. Um, wow, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. For, Thanks for having for, me for talking. And, um, you know, just kind of closing out, you know, is there any, just any last, bits of advice, maybe some, some things to do, some things maybe not to do that are for artists trying to get into, especially with, you know, talking about streaming promotions with the Spotify world and curation and all that kind of thing, uh, for, for people trying to get into that space, you know, what are some things that you tell people you should really do this, or maybe you should not do this? Sure. Yeah. I look at the business now. Yeah. I mean, you look 30 years ago and there were seven levers, you know, you, you A&R the project, you produced it, you, you, you try to get as much publicity and appearance and touring and radio promotion. And, you know, you, you got, you, you jammed all the buttons down at the same time, at least labels put out projects, put out full albums. And 20% of the time they were successful, um, with 20,000 tracks a day. And now there being 250, you know, buttons to push, figure out where you're strong and figure out what, what matrix of those buttons work best for you? If if streaming is one of those things and that's where your audience is going to be, you've got to do something to you know delineate yourself from the other nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine tracks that were released today. Um, you know we're successful in in helping do that um, with projects that work for us. You know so we we probably get two hundred submissions a month. Um, we probably take two or three of those. Um, a lot of it is business relationships again with labels and management companies and making sure that we're working with projects that have other buttons they're pressing at the same time. So what are they doing with press? What are they doing with social media? You know, how, how are they leveraging other aspects of the business to help gain attention, to gain awareness? That's cool. So if you're, if an artist is not already pursuing certain aspects on their own, that's going to, that's going to be a, ro- a red flag for you guys. Yeah, we I mean, we're definitely going to look and see. Is it? You know, where are you social media wise? Where are you? What is there a website? Is it a proper website? Are you touring? Um, is there coverage happening elsewhere? You know, where is there anything? Starting from zero is hard, right? Mm-hmm. Starting from twenty five thousand is a little easier if it, monthly listeners or followers or you know yeah. but starting from 2500 is, is easier than zero zero but what, is hard but what if you're starting from zero if you're starting from zero you've got to build it yourself right okay. so that's before you guys yeah. will, will um, touch it if it's really really good yeah we might work the music just based on its merit okay. um but it, it's hard yeah. i mean even really really good stuff starting from zero is difficult yeah um so start really really good find the best way to build really engaged audiences to play live, you yep. know, if, if that's an opportunity. I, I always strongly recommend, like, you're going to make the most money and get the most traction building real fans in live environments. And if you, whether that be live in person or virtually live through Instagram stories or YouTube videos or whatever that might be, mm-hmm. um, have people that want, that crave more, right? And so if you can get to that place, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier, a lot more helpful for us than it is hey, I've got this brand new track. No one's ever heard of me. Um, my mom hasn't heard this project yet, but can you go get, can you go turn me into Ed Sheeran? Right. That's all, where's your expectation? What, you know, what's, what's the end goal? Short-term, mid-term, long-term. Yeah. Now I'm going project management on you again. But, That's great. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. There you go, where, exactly. Where are we trying to go short-term? Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming yeah, on. Thanks and, for having me. And sharing your story and 
getting to talk about your company. Um, real quick, what's what's the website? And if people want to reach out to you uh, that are interested in working with you guys, like how would you tell them to to reach out to you? Yeah, so it's streamingpromotions.com. Okay. Um, there's a contact form on the homepage and through the contact page. Uh, reach out that way with the music. Um, give us a little bit about yourself and then send us a link to the project so we can take a listen. We'll respond to everything. We'll let you know that we've heard it. Um, We'll definitely go through a approval process internally um, and reach back out with that. Um, that's the best way, honestly. Um, I'm Sloan at streamingpromotions.com. If you just want to say hello, um, I'll try to respond to those things. Lots of emails on my end, too. But, um, yeah, and I'm around Belmont's campus or around here. So. That's right, because you're, you're a, say hello. a adjunct professor. Yep. And what, is your, what are you teaching there? Uh, I teach on uh, promotion and distribution Okay. through in the – what is it now? It used to be at Belmont. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. Man, again, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And I know somebody's going to be able to take this information and, and put, it, put it into practice. So I look forward to that. That's great. Awesome. All right. Have thank a great you. day. Me too. All right, everyone. There you go. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, if this is what you're looking to do, if you're trying to get your music out onto Spotify and all these playlists that uh, indie artists, this is where you guys can thrive. You know, when you're a signed artist, you've got people doing this for you. Labels are doing all this kind of stuff for you. But as an independent artist, if you're trying to get your music out there for people to know who you are, this is the direction you have to go. You have to find independent people like Michael and his company that can get you out in front of those playlists, in front of the people that, that need to know who you are. And they're an invaluable service. So I hope you're able to take advantage of this conversation today. Reach out to Michael. Let him know who you are and see if there's a way that he can help you. That would be amazing. Um, let me know how things are going for you. Email me at contact at johnmartinkeith.com and let me know how things are going with you. If you have questions that you would like me to ask a future guest, I would love to know that so I can get that on the docket. Do me a favor. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to it on the platform that you're listening to it on and be sure to spread the word out so people know more about who we are and what we're trying to do. And remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.